0: Well, good morning, my name is Connor. I'm so thankful that you are here with us. Um, Hey, if you are tuning in online, thank you so much for being here with us. We love you guys as well. Well, hey, we are continuing in our series called Religion Stinks. And last week, uh, David talked about religion stinks because it wreaks guilt. And Man, he just said some things that I needed to say, and so it's been a really good week. Yes, it helps for me that the Wildcats won both of their games, sorry about the Bearcats. Uh, but yeah, that that helped. Uh, this week, we're talking about religion stinks because it's a buzzkill. And we'll get to that in just a second. But next week, we're gonna talk about religion stinks because it's judgy. And I'm also really excited because next week is our Oak Hills uh, celebration. So if you know a family who goes to Oak Hills, if you know staff or faculty, please invite them to come. We would love to celebrate th- with them. That would be awesome. But today, As we get started in our conversation on religion stinks because it's a buzzkill, I want to start off by asking a question, and it's this. In terms of religion, spirituality, and morality, is it possible that we have thought something to be true when in in actuality it's not the case? I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Hundreds of years ago, many people thought that the earth was flat. Um, and this was kind of the typical thinking, right? And so this uh, happened to be like, problematic for guys like Christopher Columbus. That when they would sail the open sea, that they would kind of come to the end of the abyss, or, and then they'd just kind of fall off. <laughs> and so sooner or later, they found out that the earth wasn't flat, that it was round. And so my question as we go back to the question this morning is, is there a possibility that we have missed it? lean over to the person next to you and tell them you missed it. You missed it. Guys, you better take the opportunity for this because it's not going to come very often, I promise. <laughs> is there a possibility that we have missed the truth that following Jesus is the most fun, the most joyful thing that we could ever do here on this earth? That we, maybe that we've missed the truth of what the Bible says about a relationship with Jesus? and what that means for us. You know, if we're being honest for a long time, especially in our community and culture today, the church and individuals in the church have not been known for being fun or being full of joy. Right? Uh, perhaps many people today don't buy into the whole Jesus or the church thing because this, this is some of their thinking. Well, I, I don't want to buy into that because I won't be able to have fun. Or I, I don't want to do the whole church thing because I have to follow a bunch of rules, a bunch of list of do's and don'ts, and I can't do what I really want to do, and, and, and I have to do things that I don't really want to do, and frankly, I don't really care about, and to that, I would say that I agree because it's religion and not relationship. And many people would agree that religion stinks because it's a buzzkill. If you don't know what a buzzkill means, basically like a a Debbie Downer or a killjoy or not fun or unnecessary rules caused by insecurity and shame and guilt and false spiritual identity as we think about people who have bought into these things. Um, I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle said. He said it like this, I believe that these people are not rejecting the truth about God, but rejecting a distorted view of God in religion. And so what I wanna do is I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about religion, and I wanna talk about relationship. First, we're gonna talk about religion. And to do that, to help us We have here our religion cactus. Uh, Religion cactus, okay? Um, I I love as Joe and as the creative team was coming up with uh, religion stinks, uh, we use the cactus as kind of a symbol for religion. You know, the thing about cactuses is, uh, I I said this in the first service, like, you know, they're not really really that cute. You know, they're kind of ugly. And uh, there was someone that came up and said, you know, I have a cactus in my house and I appreciate that cactus, so... Sorry if if that offends you, (laughs) but nonetheless, most cactuses are ugly, right? You can't hug them. They're prickly. If you're playing golf in like Texas or something and you hit a golf shot, it's not like you can kind of wiggle around to hit a golf ball. That would be really painful. And so when we think about religion, we're going to put this into our, we're going to call this our religion cactus, We're going to call this Religion Cactus. And so um, I want to be clear, though, whenever we're talking about religion this morning, because the Bible does mention a good kind of religion. The good kind of religion is taking care of widows and orphans. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the Bible has a lot to talk about when it comes to the negative or the bad kind of religion, and that's what we're gonna talk about right now. And so in order to explain this negative religion, this religion cactus that we're talking about, I wanna give you a couple of stories and examples that are gonna hopefully help us understand what we're talking about whenever we talk about religion. Um, Who all has seen the movie Footloose? Anybody seen the movie Footloose in here? Maybe the one from 1984, the, the new remake. Well, um, I haven't seen the movie Footloose myself for two reasons. One, and this, the first one is a proven fact. It's not a myth that golfers don't dance. Um, it's, it's proven like, I, and I'm a golfer and I don't dance. I can uh, do the floss and so that's about all I get. That's about all I got. If I go any further than that, then I'm in deep water and I'm in big trouble. But um, I also, uh, in terms of movies, I'm like an action guy. I'm looking forward to the Avengers, the end game, right? Like those are my kind of movies. Can I get an amen? Um, and, so, and so Footloose isn't really my, my type of movie, but I enjoy the, the story behind Footloose. And if you don't know the story, I'll fill you in. It's okay. Um, it was based, loosely based off of a town in Oklahoma called Elmore City. This is in the 1970s, um, and basically what happened is a group of community leaders, including a pastor, got together and made this law that said that you can't dance. You can't dance in, your, in this town. And so they didn't have uh, events like homecoming and prom and all the other events that would entail with dancing, And so people even, students even appealed to these group of leaders and say, hey look, dancing isn't against the Bible. Like as a matter of fact, there are examples of people that danced. Like David danced before the Lord full of joy and having fun. And then they did not accept it and things didn't go very well and so there was this clash. And so for these leaders and even this pastor, intentions may have started off as pure but quickly turned as toxic and unhealthy in an unbiblical perspective that led many people away from Jesus, the church, and the truth. And so that, Footloose, is a story, we're going to put it under the religion category. A few years ago, I went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. It was in the heart of Kentucky. It was in Campbellsville. And so if anybody knew should have known what the Bible says uh, about any kind of Bible answer, it could have been them. They're in like the center of the Bible belt, okay? And so at the end of this camp, we would ask them a series of questions. And the very last question that we asked them was this, if you were to die today, where are you going and why? It's really interesting, right? Their response, because if anybody should have known the right answer, it, it, it should have been them. was really interesting the majority of the people said 50% I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person because I'm a good person 50% I'm 50% not 100 I'm not sure I'm 50% we're going to put that thinking under the category of religion I was talking some time ago, with a mother who had a son who went to college, and the son was pretty apprehensive about coming to church, and she had a conversation with them, say, like, "Hey, what do you think about church? What do you think about this Jesus stuff?" And the conversation that the, the 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 quote that the student had, I thought was really interesting. He said this to his mom. He said, "Mom, I'm not interested in religion. I just want to have fun and do my own thing." Now, I wanna, there's a lot in there, but I want to pull out the idea that just because you buy into this church thing or because of uh, buy into Jesus means that you can't have fun, we're going to put that under the religion category. The last example I'll share with you. Um, some time ago, I was talking with a dear friend of mine, and she was talking about a friend that she had recently lost, So uh, something happened to this friend. um, And so she was reminiscing over how she enjoyed being with this friend. She liked playing and hanging out with this friend. And she said something that kind of caught me off guard because this person is connected, connected to spiritual things like church stuff. And she said, well, I hope my friend's good outweighs her bad. And if that's the case, then that means that each and every one of us kind of walk around with these eternal scales of the balance, right? Like if, uh, okay, I'm, I'm even, but if somebody cuts me off and I kind of flip them the bird, then my bad kind of goes up a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of in the hole, I'm in a rut. So, you know, like I go to church and then I prayed before meal like two weekends ago. And so I think I'm doing pretty good, right? I don't know about you, but that, if that's the case, then that would bring me great anxiety. <laughs> and if I messed up, which you can ask my wife, Abby, is a lot. And so I, man, whenever I would mess up, that would bring me depression. Like I would want these things. I want my good to outweigh my bad. And so that kind of thinking we're going to put in the religion category. So I wanna give you a definition of religion. It's man's attempt to appease or please God and earn his or other people's favor by working hard and being good enough. If you have your notes, you can write that down. It's, religion is man's attempt to appease or please God and earn his and other people's favor by working hard and being good enough. Now I wanna be clear that religion and relationship are two different things, they are separate. I want to be clear that the Bible does not condone this kind of thinking. The Bible always presents as a relationship. And so as we move towards talking about relationship, I have these balloons here that we'll call our relationship balloons. So whenever we think of relationship, we're going to go with our balloons over here, okay? I want to give you a definition of relationship. And it's this, it's God's work of sending Jesus to die and rise so that we could be adopted into God's freed family. And what I want to do to talk about relationship is look at a couple of different scriptures and we're going to pull that out of what that means for us and what that means as we walk in our relationship with Jesus. And so the first one is found in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory behind this verse. So there was a guy named Paul. There was a dude named Paul. I'm a millennial, so I can call him a dude. Um, But um, Paul was a church planner, uh, entrepreneur guy. So he'd go from region to region, town to town, and tell people about Jesus. And so people would come to a relationship with Jesus. They'd start a church, boom, voila, and then he would move on to the next region. Well, Paul came to this town, this region called Galatia, told people about Jesus. They started a church Awesome, and he moved off to the next town. Well, the problem was is that Paul got wind that the church started to teach some kind of wacky things. There were some Jewish leaders in the church who started telling people, you know, Jesus is okay, but you gotta be circumcised really in order to be saved. Circumcision was a, a thing in the Old Testament and in, in, the, in the old law that, but when Jesus came, he brought a new covenant in, so we didn't have to do anything in order to have a connection with God. And so Paul writes back to them to in order to like, hey, we need to get rid of some of this funky teaching going on and he says this, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again to the yoke of slavery. Now there are a couple of things in there and the first you heard freedom and you heard being set free. Well, Paul, what am I being set free from if I have a relationship with Jesus? Well, you're being set free from sin, from guilt, from shame, from the old law, and from religion. And so some of you need to hear that, that you are free. And whoever the Son sets free, he will be free indeed. And so this was confusing for the Jews because they were used to these old way of thinking, the law. Uh, Take, for example, the the Ten Commandments. Some of you maybe know these things, there's a couple of them like uh, don't steal, don't kill, uh, don't commit adultery, those kind of stuff. And so with Jesus, the law of the Ten Commandments is no longer to show us how good or how righteous we are but to show us rather how much we need a savior, how much we need Jesus. I don't know about you guys but I haven't kept them and so I need help and so that's the whole point of Jesus. But as we talk about freedom, as we talk about grace, sometimes when people come into a relationship with Jesus, they can kind of abuse this freedom or this grace that they get with Jesus. I'll give you an example. Um, We have a bakery by our house called Servati's Bakery. Anybody been to Servati's before? Oh, man, all their donuts are so good. Oh, it's like for a cheat meal, which means I can eat whatever I want for just a period of time, Oh man, I'm going to Cervati's and getting their donuts. They're so good. Anyways, um, the first one is so good. The second one is even better, but by the third one, like it has this like stomach bad feeling and I get like a sugar rush in my brain. And the idea is that like, if I abused my body, then that's not really freedom. That's just kind of chaos in my bowels, you know? (laughs) Seriously. Or another, another example is this, like, if I were to go buy whatever I want on a shopping spree, like, I would be broke before I got to the mall. The first service laughed at that. It's okay, you don't have to <laughs> laugh at that. But the idea is that, like, if, if I don't have some control, then freedom misinterpreted becomes chaos, and man, we don't want that. And so the same thing goes spiritually, that just because we have grace as followers of Jesus doesn't mean... We get to abuse that freedom and grace. This was the case with the Gentiles. They weren't used to the law. They weren't used to knowing what's right and what's wrong. So maybe you have a friend or a family member who's kind of like a hedonist. A hedonist would be somebody who basically does whatever makes them feel good, but they don't really know that what they're doing is wrecking their life and they won't really admit it or they haven't yet. And so what I would say to that is there's a difference between personal chaos and godly freedom in Christ. And so Paul says, hey look, I want you to stand firm and don't let yourself be burdened to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is like this weight on your shoulders. That would be sin and religion. He's like, no, 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 put that away, don't, don't get on that. It's like what Jesus said in John 10:10. He said the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to what? Destroy, But I have come that they may have life and have it to the, what? Full. Satan would love nothing more than for you to go back to religion, to kind of stay in your religion cactus bubble. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Reminds me of a story. It's not really a story. It's a historical account of Jesus and this guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 19. I want to read the first couple of verses for you. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was, and a man there was by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and wealthy. Stop right there. Tax collectors were not very well thought of in their community. And man, this guy wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So the tax collectors, they would have their basic quota, and then whatever they charged in addition to that, they would get to pocket. And so, man, this dude, Zacchaeus, was a wealthy guy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, verse three says, and because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and ran and climbed a sycamore fig tree and saw him, since Jesus was coming that way. <laughs> man, I... I kind of feel sorry for this dude. Like whenever we go to heaven, it's like Zacchaeus, you know, like we have a song about your height. Like Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? Like, man, I'm, I don't want a song about my height. I mean, that would make me kind of like a little insecure, right, but man, we have like a song about how this dude was short. It's like, man, when we get to heaven, like I'm, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> But in verse five, it says when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house. Oh, and I love this because I I love that Jesus was still associating with a man who was hated by his community for the wrong things that he had done. That's relationship." Jesus didn't see him for his mistakes, but saw him as a man who needed encounter with the living and loving God. In verse six it says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, better word for that is grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? Like seriously, Jesus is going to be with Zacchaeus? He's like a chief tax collector. And so the community thought so negatively about this man that they had condemned Jesus for going into his house and eating with him. This is an example of religion. See, when reaching the lost and loving people is not the priority, that's when religion has crept in and that's when it has become a problem. In verse eight, it goes on and it it says, Zacchaeus but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord look Lord here and now I'm not procrastinating but I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anyone I will give back four times the amount oh man I love this this is such a perfect example of relationship why would Zacchaeus give a huge amount of money remember he was wealthy this dude had some change and this guy Gaius, said, "I'm going to give away half of my possessions. Enough of cheated anybody. I'm going to give him four times back the amount." Why would he do that? Because Jesus is in my house today, that I, I don't care about anything else, because Jesus is better than those things. You see, for Zacchaeus, it wasn't an obligation. It wasn't a have-to thing. This was an opportunity. This was a get-to thing to respond to Jesus in relationship. Because of what Jesus had done for him, he was willing to give away this large chunk of money. And I love this. Because money probably dictated his life for a long time. And other people looked at his mistakes as a disgrace and shunned him for it. But Jesus said to him, and he's saying to us, whatever is bringing you shame, whatever people are disgracing you for, you bring that to me. You bring that to me. That's relationship. Jesus goes on in verse nine and 10 and says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come, has came to seek and to save the lost. Man, I love that. That is a picture of relationship. You know, as I was thinking about obligation versus opportunity, as I was thinking about have to versus get to, I stumbled across this verse uh, found in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. Oh man, and it's got relationship written all over it. I wanna read it for you guys. It says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy, oh man, don't miss that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Now I believe that the greatest obligation of all mankind was Jesus dying on the cross, why? I think that Jesus, in terms of physically speaking, that that him being alone and beaten and whipped with leather and glass and carrying a 300-pound cross and being nailed to that cross and hanging there for hours until death was the worst way to die humanly possible. Like, of all the ways to die, Jesus' death was the worst way to die. But not just that, but the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. That's Jesus. So it's like Jesus is hanging there and he saw all the wrong things that I had done and that you had done in his brain and he's bearing that. And so I think that the worst part about Jesus dying on the cross was spiritually and mentally, even beyond physically. And So we come back to our verse and say, why did Jesus do that? Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you go through the greatest have to? Why did you go through the greatest obligation of all mankind, why? And Jesus, according to this verse, says it was my joy. Jesus, why was it your joy? Relationship. Because he wants a relationship with you and he wants a relationship with me. And I don't know about you, but if that's true, and it is, then nothing that Jesus asks of me ever is ever a buzzkill or an an obligation. Nothing that Jesus would ask of me is an obligation. I would die for that, if that's true, if Jesus would die for me, not not just as an obligation, but as a get to thing, as an opportunity, as his joy, then that changes everything for me. I don't know about you. See, Jesus isn't interested in having a religion with us. It's like this religion bubble. No, he wants a relationship with us. He wants to know you and for you to know him as Lord and Savior over your life. So we've talked about religion and we've talked about relationship. Now we gotta ask the question, well, what are we gonna do about it? So what does this mean for us? Well, for some of you, you're like, Connor, I've been living in a religion bubble for a long time now. And I'm not sure if I've ever had a personal relationship with Jesus before, but I want that. If that is you, man, I would encourage you, please grab somebody. There's a prayer team that's gonna be up front. As you exit the doors, there are gonna be people with lanyards. Please, before you leave the building, if that's you, don't leave until you have a conversation with somebody about that. Maybe you're like, you know, Connor, this is the first time that I've really understood that Jesus died for me. Like, I didn't get the grace stuff, and I'm kind of new to this faith stuff. But I want to start a relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Well, I would encourage you. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to connect you with one of our leaders and to take next steps for you. And that, as a matter of fact, for both of those groups, we have an all-in coming up. We have classes that are coming up just next week. Check out the website. Don't, Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Check out the website. And some of you are thinking, "Connor, I'm I'm already in a relationship with Jesus, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Well, if that's you, I would encourage you to plug in here at Whitewater in some way that God is moving, whether through serving or grouping or giving or whatever that looks like for you. I mean, I would encourage you to plug in. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you have been acting with spiritual prunes, I would say, for a long time. And if that is you, I would say that it is time to walk in freedom and grace that we have in Jesus. Walking with Jesus is the funnest thing that we have. We don't have to walk around as an obligation or as a have-to thing. It's an opportunity. And so, man, I would encourage you, like whatever that looks like for you, go somewhere and spend time with God Get away from the noise of normal and, 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 and go somewhere. Maybe it's like going out west and seeing his creation, whatever that looks like for you. Here's the last thing I would say. Is that if people know you for what you are against more than what you are for, then that's probably a sign that you're living in a religion box. Social media is a big offender of this. Let me say that again. If people know you for what you are against more than what you are for, then that's probably a sign that you're walking in religion. And so what we want to do, we've talked about it, is that we want to walk away from religion and we want to walk into a relationship with Jesus. And so as we do that, as we come to our close, there's gonna be a prayer team up front here. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, Laura's gonna be over here for the three after right at the bottom of this little ramp here. Um, why, don't I, why don't we close? I will uh, say a prayer for you guys and then we will see you next week. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus, not just obligatory way, died for us, but it was his joy. God, thank you that we can have a relationship with you. Thank you that we can have a connection with you. But God, if we're we're honest, there's so many religion bubbles in our culture, especially here on the west side of Cincinnati. And so Father, I just ask, would you help us to walk in freedom in a relationship with you despite of everything going on around us? God, would you help us to rally together as a church family and encourage one another to grow in our relationship with you? We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks, we'll see you next week.